Welcome to Digitally Creative. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and my streak has continued, and that would be my streak of getting guests who I can't believe I'm actually having a moment to chat with. Um, we've had some legends, and we have another one, at least a legend to me, because he's one of the first YouTube channels I ever subscribed to. And because of the amazing conversation that I had with Bobby Duke a couple of weeks ago, where we mentioned him, he actually found us, which is amazing. Um, but I have the one, the only, Dave from Toy Poly. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It was uh, it was quite a surprise to hear my name mentioned by Bobby Duke. And, uh, you know, from that, yeah, we can now chat about whatever we're going to chat about. <laughs> it's. Um, I, I was thinking, like, as he was saying it, I'm like, yeah, boy, I mentioned from Bob. Like, when you're on Bobby Duke's radar, you're doing something right in the world. Like, the man is just, he's incredible. And Everyone that hears everyone that hears that interview, they're like, "Man, it was so cool seeing like a different side of Bobby, like seeing him out of character a little bit, but still like you could tell it's still Bobby." And then you know he's like, "Do you ever watch this guy Toy Poloi?" And I'm like, "Of course I watch Toy Poloi, dude. I've been watching Toy Poloi longer than I've been watching you." So <laughs> I think that probably shows how long I've been doing YouTube. Then yeah, how long have how long have you been doing YouTube? How long has the channel been going? Because it feels like I've been watching you for a really long time. It's been going now for 10 years. I started it back at the beginning of 2014. So we're just coming up to the 10 year anniversary uh, beginning of next year. So it's a, yeah, it's it's been a long time. And I really sort of feel I fixed an awful lot of toys in that time. I think I'm, I'm well over a thousand videos now. So uh, hopefully that saved quite a few toys from being thrown away. I think that's I think that's my favorite part of your channel because we were talking before we started recording and I told Dave that one of the things that um one of the things that catches my attention most is when he starts repairing all the um Kenner Star Wars stuff per particularly because I had a lot of that stuff and by the time I got rid of all of it most of it was completely broken like it, there was no hope for it even my father who was Mr we don't have the money for new stuff we have to fix the old stuff would look at some of it and go yeah that's that's a goner that's a goner and now I'm watching it going oh man we could have fixed that like we really could have done some amazing i mean some of the tools weren't as readily available some of the things that you used to fix stuff wasn't as easily available the um, Stuff like plastic weld. I mean, it was out there, but it was like industrial chemicals and chrome pens and all the 3D printed stuff that we use. It's It wasn't quite as readily available, but it's kind of like if I still had it, I'd be working on it right now trying to fix it. But it is it is amazing watching you bring stuff that pretty much looks like it's trash back to life. Yeah, I guess that's the the fun of it for me. I like I like to see things restored but the more broken it is to start with the more fun it is for me as a project you know there are some things I fix up and I can see instantly oh I, you know I just need to repair that and it's done but when I get sent something or when I find something that is just completely broken and, and in pieces or covered in paint for me that becomes the challenge then because i you know, I'm sort of convinced I can fix it, but there are always some nagging things in the back of my mind thinking, well, can I do it? And it then becomes a real challenge. Um, and I've done some properly destroyed toys over the years. I think my the, the one that most people remember from my channel is I had an action man that had been completely painted red. And, you know, some child had essentially made him a sort of... Uh, a battlefield victim so he'd been painted red with enamel paint and he just looked he just looked awful uh, and i actually saw it for sale this action man it was a, a 
a guy I know who sort of buys and sells toys and he's, he had it. And I messaged him straight away saying, I want to buy that off you. And he was like, why do you want, why do you want that? And I'm like, well, because for me, I can see that is a potential project. I may not be able to fix him, but for the few pounds that I spent on him, it was like under 10 pounds or something. It was, it was going to be a fun sort of few days work for me. And in the end, I did actually manage to fix him, but he was probably, I think most people would have just said, that's rubbish. Let's put him in the bin. But for me, he was a challenge I knew I had to do. I enjoy another series of toys that I had a lot of, and I'm watching you fix them are the mask series of toys. And every time you open up any of the mask toys, I like kind of hold my breath a little bit because I know how everything inside of them, they were engineered really well, but they weren't really engineered to last. And every single one of them, I feel like every time you take a screw out, a spring's just going to go shooting across your room or something's just going to fly apart the second you open them. I would never, ever open any of those toys. I wouldn't have the courage to open them and be convinced I could actually get them back together. Like I'm amazed you did. I think it was the, it was, you did the Thunderhawk, you did the Rhino and both of them are like, they're so intricate in how they go together. And some, by some miracle, you managed to fiddle them back together. As you said, there, you always say they're fiddly. And I'm like, if he's calling this fiddly, this would be like impossible for me. <laughs> yeah. Though, those are, are toys I never had as a child, but I, I, you know, I was aware of them. I was, I was a, I'm from the era of sort of Transformers, and I think Mask is like the next stage on mm-hmm. from Transformers. So it's sort of automatically transforming toys. And uh, yep. a, a friend of mine sort of said, oh, they'd be really interesting if I worked on them. So I, I was sent a couple. I think the, the Switchblade was one of the first ones I got. And I knew it was going to be an awkward toy because you can hear the springs <sighs> rattling inside it as well. And you can tell that they're quite big springs. So everything, as soon as you undo those screws, everything in it, inside mm-hmm. it just goes... Ping, and it and but that's you know that's just the start of a project to me because then you have to work backwards you've got to work back well why is that spring there and why does that you know what attaches it i like those challenges and i and yeah okay it can sometimes it can be a bit sort of uh stressful if you open a toy and it's immediately in pieces that you cannot work it out but I think that's the advantage of filming as well, because at least if I'm filming, I sort of I can roll back the film and I can roughly work out where something has pinged from. But normally with a toy, <laughs> I've been fixing toys long enough now. I think normally with a toy, I can I can sort of reverse engineer where the stuff should be based on my knowledge of how things work. So, yeah, sometimes it's a bit, you know. It can be a bit funny. I've, I opened a transformer a few weeks back, and a, and a spring fired out, and I haven't still have no idea where the spring went. It's in my room somewhere, so I ended up having to buy a replacement spring because I just <laughs> couldn't find this thing. It's gone. It, at some point, I'll move a toy or I'll move an action figure, and it will just be behind his foot or something. But for the moment, I don't know where it is. So I, I've always wanted to ask this. So now, now that I have the opportunity, it's perfect. Um, what what is your background? Because you seem to have a really good you seem to have really good mechanical skills, and a lot of the stuff that you fix, repair, modify, um, I, a lot of sometimes you'll just do something to make it look more screen authentic as opposed to I love what you did with the Buck Rogers, the Mego Buck Rogers stuff when you redid the Starfighter from Buck Rogers and you put the lights in and stuff. That was absolutely fantastic. And that wasn't really because it was broken. It was just because it was like, I want this to look a little cooler. It could be more than what it is. What is your background? Like, where did you pick up the skills that you've used to fix the toys that you fixed? Where did you 
learn all this stuff because you have a wide range of knowledge about a wide range of stuff. And it's sometimes it's impressive just to watch your videos to see how many different techniques you use on a single project. Where did you start with and how did you develop the knowledge that got you to where you are? Well, I guess that's going to go back right to, to my sort of childhood. As a, as a child, I did lots of model kits and stuff. My dad was a big uh, model maker, so he'd make boats and aeroplanes and things like that. Not just sort of airfix things. He'd actually make things from scratch. So uh, me and my brother had some remote control boats that he built from scratch out of wood. And they were piloted by a couple of Smurfs. You know, he just cuts legs off a Smurf and stuck them on. So right from the start, uh, my dad was a big influence on you know, showing me how to make stuff. But so was my mum. My mum used to make, uh, you know, sew things and knit things. So I learned sewing skills from from her. And we didn't have like that many new toys as a child. You know, I some stuff I was able to buy, but most things came from secondhand sources. So from jumble sales and markets and stuff. So I'd often get toys that were broken. And then I'd make things for them so if you know i had a, had a batman that was missing a cape so i'd say to my mum have you got some blue material or whatever and i would then cut out a rough cape and you know i'd make a cape it wouldn't be amazing because i was a child and that was just how these things were but you know it did the job and then i guess as i got older like my my day job uh is i do computer graphics for video games so i'm uh constantly doing artwork and 3d modeling and stuff and that gives you a, a good grasp of how things are constructed and so obviously doing the artwork helps me make stickers and things for toys so like the buck rogers one you were mentioning a lot of that was making new stickers for it to make it look like the, the vehicle looked in the show so that's sort of part of my day job but the rest of it is just self-taught you know i i like model making so i've got a few tools around and I like just having a go at things. So you learn as you go. The first toys that I fixed, you know, when I started doing um, toy repair, which is probably when I started collecting, so sort of in my 20s, the repairs probably, you know, I know aren't that good. You know, they did the job, but they aren't that good. The repairs I do now as I've learnt skills over those sort of 30 years are much better because I know now, I know more about materials and the tools that I need and I know how to sort of construct things. So it's it's really self-taught just from trial and error. But I think that's how a lot of people learn, trial and error. You have a go. If it doesn't work, you'll try something different. And, you know, I think one of the big things that I learned in since doing Toy Ploy is, Le is Lego. Like Lego is the go-to. If you break something, there's probably a bit of Lego that can be used to make to fix it. <laughs> I like how creative your I like how creative your fixes are. I mean, there are things that you've fixed. I it it made me realize that styrene sheet is another one of the things that like I should have some, just because you do so much with it. It's such a versatile material, and it's something that I not only don't have, but I have no experience with. But I was working on I forgot what I was working on, but I literally was like, I should just get a piece of styrene sheet. Like that would be a perfect fix for this, and I didn't even know it existed as a sheet in sheet form until I saw you working with it. But I've see I see you like, you know, you'll take it something apart and go, Oh, this just needs a piece of styrene sheet. And I can cut this in, fashion it into a latch or fix something that's not. And it's like, how did you like, <laughs> I, I mean, it, I know it's experience and I know, but I just watch it and it just doesn't make sense to me. And then I see you do it and I'm like, now it makes sense. And why didn't it make sense to you before? It's just kind of your, 
intuition tells you like, oh yeah, this will work with styrene sheet. This will be good enough to put it together for a while. I guess again, it's just experience. I like before I'd learned about styrene sheet and, and sort of uh, you know plastic bulb, which I only really got into in the last sort of three or four years. I would just use everyday items, and that was really the idea of toy employee. Mm-hmm. I would show people that you could fix stuff with everyday items. So um you can sort of go you can see something that is roughly the right shape for the part that you need and modify it a bit and shape it and make the new part from it. Styrene sheet is just a sort of a continuation of that rather than now looking for a sort of roughly similarly shaped part. I'll just make the whole thing from scratch using, using sort of different thicknesses of styrene sheet or, or rods and stuff. And actually the more you use it and the more you, mess around with it you can actually build really quite complicated shapes i've been doing some projects in the last few weeks for some reason i've really got back into transformers and there's a load of transformers g1 transformers that are are always missing key parts you know they're finding the figure is easy but finding those parts Mm -hmm. for it is almost impossible like um there's a character called blur which has a shield that is the front part of him in vehicle mode it's always missing and without it he looks rubbish in vehicle mode and you can you can buy the, the, that shield piece, but it's really expensive. So I, I just thought I'm going to I'll make one. It does it's it's relatively simple shapes and with a little bit of sort of fine tuning and and sort of sanding and that I can make it. So I spent an afternoon and made myself a shield for Blur. Yeah, and then you know I've got other transformers like Blast Off. He's always missing his wings. So I thought, well, I'll just make his wings. It's it, it's it's a simple enough shape. Mm-hmm. Bit, few bits of Lego in that one as well, just to sort of you know spice up the mix. It's not just styrene sheet. There's some Lego cut as well. Uh, so it just becomes a creative process, I suppose. You you see an object and then you start to break it down into what those little pieces could be formed from. So it be a, a rod from a piece of Lego or a flat surface from something. It it just I think that's just how my mind works. I'll see something and I'll break it down into simpler forms. Mm-hmm. And then once you've got it into sort of simplish forms, you can start the project. You can go, okay, well, I just start with that bit and then I'll add that bit on and build it up. Um, yeah, it's just how my mind works, I guess. it's, <laughs> But it's a, it's a useful way it works because it means I can solve many problems. So, sure. You have, you have a very interesting way of explaining things that you're doing. Like you're very thorough, but you don't over-explain things. And I like when you when you take a toy apart, you actually don't just say, this is what I'm going to fix and fix it. You explain the mechanism like for stuff that's mechanical. Or I love when you fixed, you did the G.I. Joe fix and you showed how to fix the floppy legs or the ones where you use the mm-hmm. O-rings, a set of O-rings and how to fish the O-rings through and hook everything and stuff like that. Like people, you know, obviously how to explain things, but what made you think at what point? Because you said you've been fixing stuff for about 30 years. So what made you think, hey, I should be putting this stuff on YouTube. People might find this interesting. Like, what was your aha moment? And what was um, what was it like filming your first couple of videos of you doing something you were already doing anyway? Well, it, it all started, um, you know, you, you interview other makers and things like that. There's a, a maker here in the UK called James Bruton. He makes robots and things like that, uh, like really big projects. And he's an absolutely massive YouTuber now. And he's got millions of subscribers and he, he does some amazing projects. But back uh, 10 years ago, he was going out with a friend of my wife's uh, and they came around here. Uh, I can't remember. It was just for one evening or something like that. 
And I showed him my room of toys, which is what I'm sitting in now, and, and sort of showed him some of the projects that I was working on. And he said to me, why don't you film this? People would be interested in what you're doing. And I, I'd never really thought about doing that. I was just fixing toys for my own amusement and for my own collection. And so he sort of started the ball rolling and said, what you should, you know, why don't you film it? So I had a really rubbish little camera and a desk lamp and I filmed my first video and started Toy Ploy. And actually, if I look back at those first videos that I did, the ideas are, are good. The content is good. I'm very nervous in, in the way I speak. Uh, the quality of the video is terrible, but it, it was enough for people to get the gist of what I was doing and uh, the processes I was using. And, you know, mm. after a hundred odd videos, you start to get more confident in the way you speak and the way you sort of get your ideas across and editing your own voice becomes less of a sort of weird sensation i'm sure you have the same thing listening to your own voice is very weird for the first few times you do it and so it's just sort of it's it, horrible you just yeah it's horrible it just <laughs> progresses from there that you just sort of work up to to getting better and better and i still don't do amazing quality videos i've never wanted to do amazing quality videos i could do them if i could you know, I, I know how to do it. I know how to edit and all of that. But I never really wanted that to be the main part of the channel. The, the main part of the channel is about the toys and what I'm fixing, not fancy editing. So I don't really appear in my videos. It's just my hands there. And the way I talk and the way I explain stuff, that's just me. There's no, I'm not putting any on any sort of, sort of uh, spin on what I do this is how I do stuff and I'm just ta literally talking as I'm filming so there's no script it is just me talking so sometimes I do ramble on a bit sometimes I say the wrong things and I have to edit stuff out but it's just me talking it's not scripted it's just the sort of the verbal rubbish that comes out of my head as I'm talking and as I'm fixing I think one of the one of the biggest attractions for me to what you do is that the sweet spot of toys that you work on is are the toys that I had as a kid. And it's it's cool to watch you fix them because, like I said, a lot of the stuff, um, you did the Castle Grayskull and the Snake Mountain restores, and I didn't have Snake Mountain, but I did have Castle Grayskull, and I remembered how many things on my Castle Grayskull were broken, broken and irreparable, and or felt irreparable. Now I wish I still had it, of course. But I love... I love how much you bring stuff back to life and that's satisfying for people my age, but it's also satisfying just to see those toys again, to get that, that little glimpse of your childhood again. And I love that the is, is, is it because it's the toys you grew up with or was it like, cause I feel like that was almost like the last, like from like 19, I don't know, the mid seventies to the late eighties was probably the peak of toys for kids because really at the end of the eighties, you started to really see where video games were kind of the thing that kids wanted to do. Like toys became, I was, I was pointing out to my future brother-in-law that everything that we saw at the show this weekend was everything that we couldn't buy as kids. And now it's like, all the stuff is like right in front of us. Like, Oh yeah, I could spend $400 on a tie fighter that I probably could have got for 60 as a kid, but didn't have 60, but yeah, I got 400 now let's do it. You know, is it, is it your own nostalgia playing into it or was it, did you consciously pick the toys from this era 
or like how did you arrive to what you started fixing well it's it's really my collection so it's all the stuff that i have collected is what i fixed at the start nowadays there's a there's a few other things thrown in the mix but my core collection is you know like you're saying stuff from sort of mid to early 70s up to sort of late 80s that is my childhood era so that is what i collect you know that's why it's transformers star wars action man all of that sort of stuff that's what where my passion is because that's what i wanted in in to have on display here um and i'm a i'm a sort of a, a tight collector i don't like spending money on stuff so i would always buy the broken things assuming that i could repair it or at some point i'd find another one that i could swap some bits out on nowadays i do cover slightly more toys than i would, would you know would have done at the start because people are send you know people very kindly send stuff in that they want to see fixed so that's why i got into doing mask i never collected mask but i you know i knew of it and then someone sent me one and i got into it mm-hmm. and same with gi joe i'd never really collected gi joe because it's an american thing we had action force in the uk so i had action force but no gi joes but then a lot of people would say I'm, i want to send you this vehicle because i just want to see you repair it like things like the killer whale i got sent or the um the snow cat and, and you know stuff like that i'd never seen them i never mm-hmm. had them before but once i get them and i see the construction of them and see how they're put together for me that's how i really get involved in a toy just having a toy and put it on the shelf is a bit boring if i have a toy and i take it apart and see how it works i then get a new admiration for it and and then and then that sort of gets me into that toy line and so all of a sudden i've gone from having no mask vehicles to having sort of 15 of them because the one that i fixed really sort of grabbed my grabbed my sort of attention it's like well this is actually really cool so now i go out and i buy them for myself because i find them quite exciting but yeah the the core of my collection was the whole point behind toy polloi it's just what i have here is what i'm going to fix and what i have here is the stuff i like so it is the 70s and 80s do you have stuff that's i know you have stuff in your collection that's from the era when you were younger but do you have anything in your collection that you've repaired that was yours when you were a kid like do you did you keep your stuff or are you like most of us where you lost it at some point somehow and you've been trying to rebuild your collection of things that you once had i would say 95 maybe almost 99 percent of my collection is stuff i've bought since because i reached that age of sort of 14 15 i'd got into remote control cars and computers and i sold off like pretty much everything i mm-hmm. kept there's a couple of figures i kept there's a, a dungeon and dragons figure which is my childhood one which i kept a, a few star wars figures i think i kept a, a jawa and yoda and a couple of the like a couple of the really easy to get Ewoks, none of the rare stuff. It was just like the easy. And then a, a few of my Transformers are my childhood Transformers. <laughs> I have um, Hubcap, uh, which I remember buying. I still have the backing card for it, and it, so that is my childhood Transformers Hubcap. But yeah, most of it is stuff I've bought since because you know, as you say, we've got money now, and I can buy all the things that I never had as a child, and all the things that I you know my friends had or that I that i'd seen in a catalog all of those things that i wanted are now mine because i'm an old you know i'm much much older and have disposable income as opposed to a child <laughs> with no money i was thinking about that at, i was thinking about that at the show this weekend because that that's exactly what it is it's like adults with disposable income like i saw some kids that were looking at stuff and it was kind of cool seeing a younger generation looking at toys 
that were clearly and so most of the stuff at this show was from i would say the early 70s to like i think mask was the most recent thing not counting the people that had just video game stuff at their table but it was so cool seeing you know parents holding this stuff up and explaining to their kids what it is and the kids just kind of looking at like that's cool you know and I almost feel like maybe we've kind of gone so far away from toys for kids that maybe it's going to kind of swing back a little bit where it's like, oh, the kids are going to want something tangible now because video games are so commonplace, you know, because that's what happened. I feel like that's what happened with video games. They were the new shiny thing. Nobody had them, but now everybody has them. So now it's like, I kind of want toys, like physical things in the real world, I think. I don't know, just seeing young kids touching the stuff that I loved when I was a kid and being excited about it, it just felt nice. It felt kind of like cozy. <laughs> no, certainly, I you know, I get lots of messages from people who who watch the videos I make with their kids because their kids have, have sort of, I guess, you know, if your parent is collecting something, even if it's stuff from their childhood, the child is going to see it and sort of be interested in it because i know for, you know from when i was a child i was interested in the stuff my dad was doing so when my dad was making model kits or you know making things my dad had a remote control car that's why i got into remote control cars because he had it and it, it I, I could see how interesting it was and the fact that you could build these things and paint them how you wanted so i think kids now if you're seeing your parent collecting old toys or whatever that is going to certainly influence them and hopefully that they are the new collectors of the future because you know let's face it we're all getting older and at some point the, the toys that we're interested in won't be interesting to anyone else but there hopefully will be people further down the line who'll be interested in different toys you know the toys that you can get now there will be collectors of the future of course yeah i think i th i think the most amazing thing to me was seeing stuff that i've seen before like um I saw they actually one of the guys at one of the guys that one had a booth and he had some carded Buck Rogers Mego figures. And like I, I, I looked at my I've looked at my future brother in law and I just said, I am so glad I don't have disposable income for this kind of stuff right now, because he had Tweaky, Buck Rogers and Wilma Deering carded at one hundred and fifty dollars a piece. And I was like. If I was much more irresponsible, I would have bought all three of those. Like, I don't even have a way to display them, but to have those three carded, that's like gold. Like, I want them. I don't even know what I would do with them. They're probably not worth $150. I don't know. But I know they're worth a lot on cards. And it was just like one of those moments where I'm so glad I'm much more responsible than I used to be because I would have been going home with $450 worth of action figures and gotten killed. <laughs> that's, that's the restraint of the toy collector. I, I know I'm, I'm I, as I said, I'm, I'm sort of fairly tight toy collector, so I don't spend a huge amount of money on on too much stuff. But every once in a while, I will, there's something I'll see that, or there's something that I know that I want in my collection. You know, the grail toy items. I think every collector has something that you've got to have. And I will mm -hmm. spend a little bit over the odds, but I do, I, I do try to be particularly sort of, uh, you know, I just, just you know, my wallet stays in my trousers. I don't want to, I don't want to get that out and spend too much money because there's more important things mm -hmm. that I should be spending my cash on. But I'm, I, you know, I was actually chatting to a friend of mine recently. I've been collecting a long time, so I have some things in my collection that I couldn't afford to buy now, but that I bought them back when no one was interested in toys you know i started collecting sort of vintage toys 
mid to late 90s, something like that. Uh, and at that point, no one really was collecting the toy. You know, people were collecting Star wars stuff and Transformers, but they were all the sort of peripheral toys no one cared about. And that's when I started buying you know my collection so i've got i've got some things now that i i know i couldn't afford to buy again but i have them and then they're never leaving <laughs> i love i love even you've even done stuff like sometimes you'll even surprise me because like i said i've been watching your channel for a really long time so i kind of know what your wheelhouse is every once in a while you surprise like you brought out um a couple of months ago you did a repair of the smurf with the gas pump yeah. uh, and i was like wow like a, a smurf like a smurf miniature repair well rest, rest restoration it was really more about the pump than the smurf itself and i was like I, I i it never ceases to amaze me i can i mean i've seen your videos and the depth of your collection must be you have a little bit of everything and a lot more of some things but you have a little bit of everything like smurfs wouldn't have expected that one. <laughs> I, yeah, my collection, like people often say, what is the main part of your collection? And I suppose the main part of my collection is Star Wars, Transformers and Action Man. And then there's a lot of other stuff sort of mixed in with that. It's really, my collection is really a sort of a, a, a follow on from my childhood collecting because we didn't have much, you know, much sort of new toys. Most of my toys, as I said, came from jumble sales and things. So my mum would go out and she would just bring home a, an odd figure and it'd be like, oh, okay. And I'd never have more of that figure as a child, but now I'm sort of wanting to get some of those little odd figures back. And mm -hmm. that's actually why I got Smurfs back in. I didn't, I don't have many Smurfs, but um, my, my, both my parents passed away in recent years and we were clearing out their house and I found a few Smurfs that my mum had kept. And I just thought, oh, actually, they're really sweet. And it's a sort of nice memory of, of my parents. And there were a couple of Smurfs that in my that I'd remembered having and really enjoying. So the the national Smurf one, so yeah, it's the with the petrol pump. Uh my parents used to take us camping around the, the sort of British countryside and we would stop at national petrol stations. And if I had enough money, I could buy a Smurf from the petrol station because that's the place you would get them. So that's national Smurf is just a little memory of my childhood. Now my parents are no longer with me. It's quite a nice little memory to have that. And so once I bought that one, it was then, Oh, actually there's a couple of others that I wanted, like the space Smurf, the Astro Smurf. I had that. So I, I picked one of those up. I've also, the one you fixed with the ball. That's right. Bike. That's the one. And then I've also got, um, I bought the uh, the ice hockey Smurf. I don't really, I don't know. I've got no interest in in sports, but I remember having the ice hockey Smurf and he was a pretty cool one. And I think I, I bought the the Smurf with a wheelbarrow as well. Like, And that's, that is the extent of my Smurf collection is those five, four or five Smurfs. I don't intend to buy more mm -hmm. of them. It, it, that's enough for me. That's just, it's a little pocket of memories Um and, that, and that's what i've got like i've got some uh, fraggle rock doozers i think that was another weird one that people didn't expect me to suddenly start having doozers on my channel but <laughs> that was a good but one <laughs> i i i loved fraggle rock growing up i had the album that i listened to over and over again with all the songs on it and i used to cut pages out of magazines anything with a fraggle on it i would cut the page out of a magazine and i'd remembered having those wind up doozers and i thought well i'd like i want one again and they they've they're a toy that are really expensive now. No idea why, but they are really expensive. So it took me, from me wanting to get one to me actually getting one, took about five years. 
just because I had a sort of an idea in my mind how much I wanted to spend <laughs> and it wasn't that much. So in the end, I've got one. Yeah. Uh, but then, I, you know, because I got one, I showed it on the channel. I had a few people get in touch with me saying, oh, I've got one you can have. I don't collect them. I'll send you it. So, you know, I've now got all of my, my sort of childhood wind up doozers again are sitting on the shelf behind me. And that's all I want of Fraggle Rock. I don't want a big Fraggle Rock collection. It's just those little memories of of growing up in, in a sort of collection. That's all I need. Have you, in all the time that you've been doing this, have you taken something apart thinking, I don't think I'm going to actually be able to get this fixed, but I'm just going to take a stab at it because right now it's not really useful to me as parts or as something that's completely broken. Have you taken apart something where you started out thinking, there is no way this is going to work. And then eventually realized like, not only was it going to work, but you were getting it done. And it was almost like, was it a, you know, where it was a surprise to you that it actually worked and you did get it fixed. Was there any toys like that in the time you've been doing this? I think that's, that's most of my fixing time is spent like that. I often get toys that I just open them up and I have, <laughs> because I have no idea what's going to be inside it. I, you know, you, you can open any toy up and sort of, think oh yeah i'll fix this and open it up and it would be a complete mess so yeah most of i think most of the toys i fix at the moment i did one actually the video that came out this week which was a a darth vader tie fighter that i'd been sent and was all sort of smashed to pieces i had a rough you know i fixed them before the wabi sabi tie yeah, fighter <laughs> i've fixed them like many times before but you never know what you're going to get when you open it up what sort of state it's going to be how rusty it is what's broken so I just I start the I start the filming with a rough idea of what I'm going to do. What I produce at the end may not be anything like what I sort of initially thought I would do because because of how broken it is and what parts I need to find. Mm -hmm. But that's the fun of fixing. Sometimes things don't work, and yeah, you know, I think I did a video. Well, it must have been last year. Someone sent me um, a Thunderbirds two from uh, from Thunderbirds, a Japanese Thunderbirds two. And it was a real pain to fix because I took it apart and I could see what was broken and I fixed it. And I put it back together and it broke again. And then I took it apart and I fixed it and it broke again. And like every time I fixed this thing and I, I left it in the video, you can see the amount of stages I go through of trying to fix this thing and it just keeps breaking. That, But that is what happens sometimes. And in the end, it's all back together. I had to modify it slightly to get it to stay together, but it is back together. Not a perfect fix. And, you know, the start of the video, I thought it would be easy. At the end of the video, I was quite relieved just to get it back together. <laughs> but it's done and it's on the shelf and it looks good. I think that's I like I like how sometimes when you finish something, you'll I like that you give yourself credit for that, because I think that's kind of important where you'll say something like it's not perfect or, you know, it's not you would want to play with it. But for display purposes, it's great. And I think that's a good way to look at it, because for a lot of collectibles, they don't really need to be play with a bull again. You know, you'd like them to ideally in an ideal world, everything would be a hundred percent fixed, 100% functional working again. But in the real world, sometimes it's just not possible, but if you can make it look good on the shelf, that's actually pretty good because that's what most collections will do. They will be on the shelf looking great amongst the other parts of the collection. And I think it's kind of cool that you're willing to, 
not just part with something because it doesn't function 100%. Like, yeah, but it looks good on the shelf. Like, it's going to be fine. I think that's the that's just how I collect as well. There are a lot of people who are obsessed with mint items. You know, they've got to be the most perfect they possibly can be. And I don't think there is... It's certainly in toy collecting, there is no such thing as a mint item. Everything will have a defect or a flaw in it because these things are mass produced to be played with and, you know, handled. And even when they come out of the factories, often they are not perfect. Mm -hmm. They'll have marks in them or things won't be perfect. So my collection is like that. Nothing is perfect. But as long as it looks nice and, and I can get something out of it, it will go in my collection. It doesn't have to be perfect. I've got some toys here that are still missing pieces. You know, I've got figures with arms missing and legs missing, but I've never found the missing leg. So until I do, it, I can still enjoy it. I can still enjoy it as a thing. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, you know, I know some. I think some people miss that. Maybe some people are. Uh, one you know it's got to be as perfect as it can be and if it isn't then they're not happy they can't sort of settle with it for me you know a bit of wear and tear that's these are toys they're played with uh, so i'm not that i've never been that fussed about it being perfect or complete even a lot of my collection i think my transformers collection i don't think i've got a single complete figure in my transformers collection they're all missing accessories or parts and i've never and often i'll pick a figure up thinking Oh, I don't remember. I, I don't remember it was missing that, and then and then that's a new project for me, which is you know like the blur. I would say make, making a new panel for the blur. I sort of picked it up and for, had forgotten I didn't have that part on it. So it's like, oh, fine. Well, I'll just make it now. It, it's it, it's a project. So yeah, I don't. I, I think it's an attitude I'd I'd like other people to sort of learn that you don't have to. Nothing has to be perfect. Nothing in the world is perfect. So you know your collection doesn't need to be perfect. Just enjoy it as it is so this brings up an interesting discussion um kathy and i were having in the car on the way home last night we were talking because i got some stuff at retrocon that was collectible to me like there's there's two pieces in particular that i got and i checked you know i did some looking around to see what they're worth and they are worth more than i paid for them which i did really well on them and i knew instinct said that they were worth picking up because they are definitely not something you see in stores. They're definitely older. It was two Pokemon items, both of them exclusive to certain, one exclusive to certain stores, the other was an import. So it was very exciting to me to have an opportunity to get them and snag them at the price I did. The, um, but here's the thing now, and this is the thing I'm struggling with, and my fiance comes out on one side and I come out on the other. I am very much of the mindset that I don't want to take them out of the box and I think one of them is a two action figure set that I really want to keep on the cards. And she is very much a kind of like, she has a collection of stuff that she likes too. And she's very much of the mindset that if they're, you know, meant to be enjoyed, they should be out of the box and on display loose and out of the box. And I kind of think I know where you just, where you fall on that discussion. I know where I'm, I've never really had a lot of things that are worth anything, even if they were on the card. So now that every once in a while I pick something up that in the box or on the card is actually worth something, I get a little, you know, squirrely about taking it out of the packaging. Like I don't want to, I want it to have that value, but there's also the the mindset of it doesn't have a value if you're not able to enjoy it and you're just putting it in your house to turn your house into a museum so i'm kind of wondering where you kind of fall on that spectrum well you know most of my collection is loose and played with i do i do have some carded items but like few and far between 
for me, I generally just don't bother buying boxed items because I can't. I get the enjoyment out of actually sort of manhandling mm. these things and playing with them. And if it's on its card, you know what you can't redo really it. You, you don't. You can't get a full sense of the toy. I still do buy some boxed items, but generally it will be. I've already got a loose one, and I would just, you know, just for my collection, I'd like a boxed one to go with it but i will always have a loose one that i can play with if i buy something box and i don't have another mm. one i'll generally open it up so that i can i can actually you know get at the toy and do what i want with it um so yeah i'm but i'm not you know i'm probably not your average collector a lot of collectors collect for the value of things and for the uh they you know they want com complete collections and you know everything's got to be perfect and everything's got to be original that's not the sort of way i collect so i'm probably sure. not your average collector Mon monetary value as well people say oh what's you know they're always talking about monetary value yeah i'm not that i'm not that good with monetary value on stuff if i enjoy it i'll buy it but i'm still going to buy it for cheap <laughs> i wouldn't spend a lot of money on something even if i really wanted it i wouldn't spend right totally so um yeah it's it's a tough one but if it's something you've always wanted and you'll enjoy it in the box keep it in the box but you know for me i think i would I, mm -hmm. if it's if i've only got one of it and i want to enjoy it i will open it i've did it's funny you mentioned buying multiples because i have a lot of and this is one that i keep on my desk by my screen obviously i have a a little pikachu this is the tomy the 1998 pikachus um so this is the original figures but i also have i have him he's out and about obviously and then on my on my display case, such as it is, I actually have a carded one that I wanted. Like, it's like, no, if I'm going to put it on display, I want a carded one on display. So I actually just bought two of them because I was like, it's worth it. That's like $2. I can keep that on my desk and enjoy it. And then I also have a nice one that looks nice on the card for display. So it's interesting. I think that's more in line with what I would actually do than I, I like I said, I've just never had anything that had value on a card. So now that I have a few things like that, it's like, oh, I really don't want to like it's I love the stuff like I would love to have it out of the box and standing around and on display. But, man, it's really nice to for once in my life, I have a couple of things that another collector might actually yeah, want. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I think I've got I've only got I've got one. I can only off the top of my head. I can only think of one thing that I haven't ever taken off the card that I don't have a loose one of just because I've never seen a loose one. So I think if I've never seen a loose one and I've got a carded version of it, I'm not going to open the card just because I, you know, the chances of me finding another is, is very rare. Like, but like Star Wars figures, I've got every Star Wars figure. So I've got carded Star Wars figures as well. There's no point in me opening those because Star Wars figures are easy to get. But yeah, this is, I collect um, Fisher-Price Adventure, Fisher-Price Adventure people. Um, they're generally very easy to find, or they always used to be. You could pick them up for next to nothing. So I've got, 40 or 50 different adventure people and then i've also got quite a collection of carded fisher price adventure people but there's a, a a character in that called i think it's called the brainoid um which came on a three pack uh with with a couple of other figures and i've, I've got the other two figures loose but i don't have a loose brainoid because i've never seen one i've never even seen i've never seen one in the uk ever so my carded brainoid is going to stay carded just because uh, if he's rare loose he's very rare carded so um yeah he's a weird figure i think that's probably the only thing i've i've never i've not opened 90 bucks 90 bucks um 
loose in the United yep. States and they're averaging about 90 bucks. I found them on eBay in the yeah. US. He's, he, um, that's out of control. $90. For a Fisher Price figure. Yeah, because Fisher Price figures, like the Adventure People figures, I think. <laughs> I've never paid more than two pounds for an adventure people figure. There are, there's only about 70 of them in the, in the, like in the entire line. And I think I'm just looking at my shelf now. I've probably, let's do a quick, I've probably got 45, maybe 50 of them. So I'm, I'm missing about 20 at the end of the, of the line, which are the sort of the rarer ones that probably are US only or something like that. But yeah, for a Fisher Price adventure people figure, 90, $90 for that that's a lot of money because they're not really worth any money at all. Um, and until very recently, not many people collected them. You know, it's funny. I'm actually looking as you're talking about, cause I'm like, I, I knew I'd heard of adventure people, but I didn't remember. And I'm looking at this one seller. I'm looking at it now has a lot of 25 of them for $75. And I'm looking at the figures and I had friends. I had some of these. I didn't know what they were called. And now I'm looking at him like I recognize this one guy who's got a motorcycle helmet and green glasses and a checkered flag yeah, on his yeah. chest. I'm like, I had that figure. I didn't know what it was. It was just a figure that I had as a kid. And I'm thinking like, wow, how many figures did I have as a kid and not even know what they actually were? Like, wow, Fisher Price Adventure people. That's a whole man. That's like Playmobil too. Like Playmobil is another one that everybody all of a sudden out of nowhere. It was when I was a kid in the 80s. I'm sure you went through the same thing. Playmobil was the hottest thing in the world. Then it just fell off the face of the earth. You never heard about it again. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's collecting Playmobil. Everyone's collecting it. Like you see it all over the place. And it's like, wait, wh when did this happen? Why did this happen? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's strange how these sort of toy lines come back into fashion. I I started collecting Fisher Price Adventure People maybe oh, 12 or more years ago, like before I started Toy Ploy. I just, I hadn't thought about them for years. And then all of a sudden, I there was one figure I remembered having, which was a, a, a frogman, a Fisher Prize Adventure People frogman. He's a blue guy in a sort of a wetsuit with a, a squid emblem on his on his back. And I remembered that uh, my my nan gave me this figure one. I think it was a Christmas. And at that point, I thought, oh, well, I'll get that figure again. Now I've remembered it. You know, it can go in my collection as a, just a little memory figure. So I, I went on eBay uh, and I bought a carded version of him. I think he was like two or three pounds for a carded figure. You know, you know, at this time Star Wars was expensive and all of that stuff, but these Fisher Price figures were nothing. So I bought him. And then once I got him, I started just picking up odd ones. Every time I was at a toy fair or something, I would pick up an odd Fisher Price figure and my collection sort of grew. And then I built bought more job lots of carded figures because they were really cheap. Uh, and that's when I got the brainoid, because I bought a job lot of carded figures. It cost me almost nothing. Um and then all of now everybody wants them so all of a sudden everybody wants them and prices are going up and up and up they're still affordable carded uh, no that you know carded is not affordable but the loose figures are still affordable but now all of a sudden and i don't think i can be blamed for that i've only shown them a few times on my channel but i think may, maybe it's just amazing <laughs> suddenly people have started remembering them and, and going back to it but yeah they're they're an interesting toy line but i, I collect a thing called um uh, penny racers which were these tiny little cars that you put a coin in the back of them and they did wheelies i loved those um, and very few people collect them and very few people bother to hunt them down i've been collecting them for years uh, i've only got one carded one all of mine are loose because i like playing with them they're wind up cars you put a coin in they whiz around so all of my collection is mm -hmm. loose penny racers 
they're very hard to find just because no one particularly cares about them or pays attention. So I don't find them often. They don't cost much when you do find them. They're a couple of pounds, but they're great toys. You know, it's, it's, and I, you know, I love, I love collecting them. I'm sure most people wouldn't care less about them, but I find them fascinating and I only collect them loose so that I can play with them, play with them. You know, I, I had a bunch of them. I had a bunch of them as a kid when you did the video on them and you were, you repaired, you repaired the one with the, the pack on the roof. And I was looking, it, it inspired me to go on eBay and see if I could find the couple that I had as a kid. And, you know, you can't, there are, there are plenty of listings for penny racers on eBay, but you know, it's, I wanted the mm. ones I had, like, I didn't want just any of them. I don't want a whole collection of them like, like yours. I just wanted the four yeah. or five of them that I had and I didn't find any of them. But like watching you do that video, I felt so nostalgic for them. I'm like, these were so much fun. Like you drop the penny and they yeah. do a wheelie. They were so fast and they were they were really tiny. So they were really light. Um, there were so many great toys like that. It just them, the burning key cars yeah. were another one that I really, really loved as a kid. They were one of my favorite toys. Um, and I, every once in a while, you'll pull, like I said before, you'll pull something that's out of what I expect from you. Like I expect action figures. I expect. I'm looking forward to you doing more Transformers because, God, they were wonderful toys, but some of them were so poorly made. Um, but when you pull something small like that that I felt like – and this happened a lot at the show too where I felt like I was the only kid that owned a certain kind of toy. And then like you come out and go, so yeah, I collect penny racers and you show your whole collection. I'm like, I didn't even know anyone else had these, let alone collected them. <laughs> I think, but that's that's the joy of collecting that you'll see you'll see something, uh, you know, at a toy fair or wherever, or in someone else's collection, and it will start you down that rabbit hole of collecting. Penny racers are fantastic. There was another line. Everyone used to have Rough Riders, which were battery powered cars, a bit bigger, with a gear stick on the top of them, and you could move the gear stick, and it would sort of go forwards or backwards. But there was a spin-off of Rough Riders called. That's what they were called. Yeah, the big ones, Rough Riders. But they had a smaller. They had a smaller counterpart yes. called Stunt Riders, which Stompers. No, Stompers are different. Stompers were made by Schaefer. Uh, okay. But Stunt Riders are okay. the small versions of Rough Riders, and they're about the same size as Penny Racers, but they have little cones on their wheels so that they can do sort of side wheelies. Um, stunt Riders are made by a company called LJN nobody collects them and i again apart from me it seems so i keep hunting down these these stunt riders they are almost impossible to find i've got four of them i think now maybe five um but they're just they're they're like penny racers but they had a, a metal weight on the back of them which was like a spare tire made out of lead so it, rather than putting a penny on the back you put this spare tire on and they did wheelies and they did side wheelies and they have a little bar underneath that you can sort of move around and it makes them spin around in different circles. They're an amazing toy. No one collects them as far as I'm aware. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm literally looking right now. I love when I love when somebody I had them and I didn't know what they were called. And I remembered I was looking for I had um, the LJN LJN made them in the United States. And there was a bronze Corvette toy that I had. And as soon as I searched for it. I found the bronze Corvette. It's literally, I'm looking at it right now. I've been yeah. looking for that toy. I'm not even joking. I've been looking for that toy for like 20 years. I wanted yeah. that toy because I played with that thing until it fell apart. That is so cool. I finally know what they're called. I was looking well, I have... at Stompers and going, why aren't they here? Why isn't it here? This isn't what I was looking for, but I was looking for this... the wrong toy. 
this is a this is a stunt rider, but this oh. is a little Pontiac. So I think this is themed to uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Um, so it's tiny, and you can see there's the metal wheel mm-hmm. on the back of it. So it's got a tiny little uh, metal wheel, which is a weight. You can remove this, so you can just have the car on its own. The, the weight makes it do little wheelies. But yeah, these are they're fantastic little toys. Similar era to Penny Racers. So I'm going to say early '80s, maybe sort of '82, '83. Um, but no one particularly mm-hmm. collects them. It appears apart from me. Uh, but you don't find them very often. They don't, you know, they don't turn up uh, at flea markets or, or toy fairs. And if they do, they've almost never got the wheel. That bit, that piece is always missing. But they're fantastic little things, and sure. yeah, I love them because they're so odd. But they're not worth any money. You know, people think. I, I think people think mm-hmm. all toys are worth huge amounts of money. They're not worth anything. The the, the the childhood memories are what are worth the money. The toy they're itself. They're worth it here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There. This is where they're worth it. Like so. I was. I actually had a moment like that this weekend. So I had one of my favorite things that I collected as a kid were muscle figures. Um, I loved them. I loved them deeply. They were some of my favorite toys. And I had. I'm not even joking. I had hundreds of them. And but the first set I ever got was in a clear garbage can. And I don't know which one, but one of my friends stole them from me. And there was one figure in that can that I was never able to find again. Like I would buy complete sets. I would buy the garbage cans, hoping I would find him in there. And when I went to the show this weekend, I found him. And he was $5. And I was never happier to spend $5 in my life. Like this meant everything to me to be able to find him. And I told the guy... I told the guy that was selling them, I was like, I held them up and I showed them to my brother-in-law and I'm like, you have no idea the significance of this right now. And he goes, it's a muscle. I'm like, no, no, no. So I told him the story and the guy behind the counter goes, he goes, you clearly have childhood trauma. You can fix that trauma for five bucks. And I giggled. I'm like, you know what? That was the funniest thing I've heard today. And I took the five bucks out and I just paid him. I'm like, that was worth five bucks. Thank you. I said, apparently, and look, the trauma is gone. I guess retail therapy does work. But then down the aisle, I bumped into a a guy who had an actual collection of the American ones and the Japan, the Kiniku Man ones. And we were talking about it. And it was so nice to have kinship with another person who collected them and loved them as much as I did, because I've literally never met anyone that even knows what they are. I feel like I'm I'm on an island when it comes to these. And I met two people, one who collected them and was selling pretty much his whole collection, and another guy who was bringing some of the more valuable ones to try to sell them at the show. And I had such a great conversation with this guy. I even told him, I was like, I have on my eBay wish list one day for when I have disposable income for it, I have the full Japanese Kaneko Man set. It's like $325 for the full set of all of them. And one day I'm going to buy that set. Like I am going to buy that set because I want that. I want, and that's going to be another one of those. Am I going to keep it in the box or not? Probably not. I want them on display. I want a whole array of them on my wall. But it was so nice to bump into a guy who was excited about them as I was. And it's just, I, 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 it's amazing. Like when you're a kid, toys bring you together. But when you're an adult, you have not only the toy bringing you together, but the stories and the nostalgia that comes along with them, that kind of you bond over. It's like, yeah, they meant a lot to me too. And here's my collection. Show me your collection. What did you collect? I like that one too. And man, I love, I love this space. This is the happiest I've been 
in a space that isn't a, like a technically a creative space, probably in my life where I'm kind of reassembling some of the toys that had the most meaning to me. And it's just a wonderful group of people that are involved in it. And those memories are just having them with other people that share them. It's, it's wonderful. It's just so wholesome. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. That's, that's what toys do to me. I, I like, I like the memories that they bring to me, but I also, I like the memories that I can put into them. So, you know, it's not just the ones that I buy because I want them again, you know, the, the childhood ones, but when I buy a toy, and fix it up i've then got a new little connection to that toy so when i look at it i can remember how i went about fixing it and how i went about repairing it and that gives me that new little story as well so if someone comes around and looks at my collection and they say oh you've got one of those i can go yeah but when i got it it was broken and i'd had to do all of this to it and and you know it's got a story of its own not just that i've bought it and put it on my shelf it's got this new story that i've bought it and repaired it or i've done something to it um so it's that continuation of those those sort of stories of childhood i love like when people come around here i'm all i just sort of stand back and i like watching them point at things going i had that i had that i oh i always wanted that i had that oh no i've never you know, oh i've never seen that i love that sort of uh reaction that you that you get but I do it when I go and visit other friends with collections and I go in, you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that we collect that's very common, that things, you know, crossovers in collections like He-Man and all of that stuff. But there'll be something sure. on a shelf. It'll be like, oh, I've never seen that. What, you know, what is that? What, what is that toy? Why, you know, and that's what's great about sort of sharing your collection and, and being able to look at other people's collections is the, the, oh, I, I never knew about the, that, sort of moment and and the learning part of it it's it's fantastic it is fantastic it's it's honestly it's it's becoming one of my favorite things to the point where i might i might be a little bit addicted i might be a little bit addicted not so much not so much to the collecting part but to the connections that form while you're connect collecting and being able to talk to the people that you're buying their thing from and kind of selling yourself as someone worthy of taking something from their collection that you're going to put into your own. And Mm. it was, it was such a good experience for me. And I can't, I, I I think I am addicted. I can't wait to have that experience again. Um, I know you go to shows too. It's got to be the same for you. I mean, you do it even more. Yeah, no, exactly. I go to, I go to quite a lot of shows and sometimes I'll go, I'll go and I won't come back with anything. And, but that's not a disappointing day because I like looking at other toys and stuff. Even if I don't buy it, I like seeing what's there and and seeing, you know, just getting ideas for things. But also nowadays, quite a lot of people will stop and come up and chat to me about stuff. And I always ask them, what have they bought? And so I I always have a rummage in other people's bags to see what other, what they've bought on the day. So even if I don't come away with anything, you get that interaction with other people and you get to see other collection, you know, other stuff that's available. Um, So it's never disappointing to come home empty handed from a toy fair because you still had that sort of buzz of seeing stuff or, you know, you may, you may regret not buying something, but then there's always the next one. You can buy it at the next one or you'll buy something different. So yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's the fun of sharing your collection and the fun of just, you know, I like to see new things, new old things for me. I don't buy many new toys. So it's the old stuff that always catches mm-hmm. my eye. And I still buy old things that I would never think to have in my collection. You can see on my shelf behind me, I have these weird handcuffs. 
Uh, and that was, I went to a toy fair and a, a friend who runs a toy store. These are from Police Academy. I've, I can't remember the last time I watched Police mm -hmm. Academy and I've never seen the cartoon. But I saw them on his stand and thought, they're really odd. I should buy them. But I didn't at the time. But then, after, you know, after the toy fair, I messaged him just saying, I really should have bought those because they're just weird. Could you put them by for me? I've no idea why I like them, but they're weird. and They, they are in my collection now. But, you know, I'd never they're heard of them. They're weird and they're funny. <laughs> yeah. I saw them at a toy fair. But they, they came in the box. They are no longer in a box so uh, because they're better on display like that. So there's one thing I did open straight away. <laughs> I have been... So when I told you when I told you I wanted to have you on the podcast, one of the things I told you is that I do um, every weekend. This is going to be particularly fun for you. I'm sh with you on for sure. Um, I do something called Thing of the Week, and I have been dying to see what your Thing of the Week was going to be because I can only imagine what you uh, brought to the table. Um, well, I've got the thing is I've got lots of I'm always working on lots of things. You know, it's one of those. Um, mm -hmm. It's one of those things. I could, I could, I just sort of looking around what I can pick up for you because I was going to say Transformers because that actually has actually been, I've I've not been fixing Transformers for a long time, but, but over the last two or three weeks I've suddenly got massively back into Transformers. So I've been doing a lot of fixing of those. So those are things I enjoy doing. But I think the the best thing I've done recently, which I'll show you again, which is back to Star Wars, is this a Star Wars Land Speeder. It's it's such a common toy, mm -hmm. but I I just thoroughly enjoyed repairing this one. It's there's nothing there's nothing amazing about it as a toy. It's you know it's a fairly common toy, but I spent a good few hours repairing this, and it just it calmed my mind. You know those sorts of things you can just I can switch off and and forget about the troubles of the day. So this is my thing for you. It's just, it's not an exciting toy. It doesn't do anything that exciting, but the pleasure it brings me is what, you know, is, is, <laughs> is why I like it. But that's, you know, I could literally do that about any toy in this room. I could pick something up and the pleasure it would have brought me is, you know, is my thing of the, of the moment. But really this week it's Transformers. I'm doing an awful lot of Transformers repairs and thoroughly enjoying every single one of them um, from the simple things to repairing Metroplex's waist to making a new uh, gun <gasps> barrel for a war no path figure. Wait, wait, yes. wait, 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 wait. There's no way you're repairing Metroplex's waist. There's no way. I, 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 can, I have I a can, story. I have. A, I can reach over and bring in the Metroplex that I repaired his waist on earlier this week. So this I did a few days ago. Was, you fixed it. He was snapped in half, and he now works perfectly. You can click him, and I don't think you'll break him again. So this, it's been a project I've wanted to do for ages. Um, and someone sent me uh, their, their sort of remains of their childhood collection, and this was in it. And I knew as soon as I got it, it was going to be one of my first projects. Dave. I have to tell you something. I have to tell you a story. I have to tell you a story. My grandfather passed away in 1986, and my parents couldn't afford to take um, my sister and I with them to West Virginia because they had to fly. You know, obviously, funeral. They couldn't drive there. It's 700 miles from us. So they had to go there. And my father said, I promise you, if you and your sister are good, we are going to get you some, we'll get you a nice toy when we come home. And it was like, okay, cool. So we were on, we went to my 
grandparents' house. We spent five days there. We were on our absolute best behavior. And when we came back, my father and mother, they took us to Toys R Us, and they let us pretty much have a run of the store. We could get one toy, but it didn't matter how big it was. They didn't care, whatever we wanted. And I was eyeballing Metroplex on the shelf, and that was all I wanted. And my father goes, is that what you want? I was like, that's what I want. He goes, okay. And he took it, put it in the cart. Didn't even ask. Like, it was like perfect. It was a kid's dream. I got it home. I played with it. I loved Metroplex. I played with all the components of it. It was my favorite. He was my favorite Transformer. I played with him to death. I moved a couple of years, like a year later, I moved and my upstairs neighbor kid took it. He grabbed the legs, he grabbed the top and he twisted it too hard and he was holding two pieces of Metroplex and it just broke my heart. And my father was like, my father who could pretty much fix anything looked at it and said, there's just nothing like, cause it's really just a plastic bump essentially that goes into a hole on the upper body. Like I wouldn't need, I can't wait to see how you fix it. You don't have to spoil it. I'm very excited about this, but I, my father looked at it and goes, I don't know that we could actually fix it. So I actually had to throw him away. And when we were at the toy show, when we were at RetroCon this weekend, there was one standing on the, on, it, they wanted, it wasn't complete. They didn't have like the rolling car. He didn't have all the components. He didn't even have the knees, the things that hold the guns on his knees, like those clip on things. Like he didn't have the whole setup and he was charging $125 for it. And I'm like, just buying the extra parts is going to make this a $200 investment. I don't have that to make into this toy right now. And my brother-in-law goes, why are you so obsessed with this? So I told him the story of the waste. He's like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a bad one. I was like, yeah, that toy meant a lot to me. So now of all the toys you could have possibly said you were fixing, you're fixing Metroplex. And I am now like, oh, my God, please, I have to see that video now. <laughs> so that's awesome. I am very excited. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that your childhood one sort of saw the fate of many, but he's one that you do see in pieces all the time. In fact, I see more often than not. All the time, the two pieces. Yeah, and um, I've been wanting to. I've been wanting to cover Mirage that for a long too. time because, yeah, Mirage too. Mirage, you can fix with Lego. I've I've covered him. He's he's a standard mm -hmm. fix. But yeah, Metroplex is one I've been wanting to do that for a long time. And um, yeah, a, a sort of friend of the channel. Uh, who sent me a very odd toy a while back. In fact, it was the start of a very fun project. I'll, I'll start with that story. He uh, saw my Smurf, one of my Smurf uh, videos, and he dug up an Astro Smurf in a field uh, down, I think, near Bognor Regis or something. I think he's an archaeologist or something like that. And he, in this field, dug up this Astro Smurf that had been sort of chewed up and obviously run over by multiple bits of farm machinery and that. But he sent that to me uh, to fix up. And I have to say, I haven't fixed it up because he, it looks so amazing and it's got such a, an amazing story. <laughs> All I did for it was You're I made right. it. Uh, exactly. It's, it's been buried for 40 years or something. Um, I made it a helmet, but I made it a helmet with full of cracks and stuff. So it looks like the helmet has been sort of uh, aged as well. Anyway, from that, he, he said that uh, he had like the remains of his childhood collection of toys that he'd like to send in as a sort of donation because he he likes watching the videos and he that arrived last week and in that was a broken in half metroplex um so th this is his metroplex because as soon as i saw it i knew i had to fix it up and get it get it working so um 
it is possible to fix. It's in fact, it's an incredibly easy fix. Just a few bits of styrene sheet, and um, you can actually get him working. And it, it, I think he is now stronger than he's ever been. So uh, I don't want to push it, but I don't think you will be able to break this. He is now very firmly held together, so he can be fixed. And your childhood childhood trauma, hopefully, this will take some <laughs> of that away. I want. I'm. I'm. I'm now much more comfortable with the idea of maybe finding even finding a broken one because there's a lot of broken ones out there and i'm much more comfortable like after i see your video if it's not too crazy i might try to you know put a watch out on ebay just to see if a broken one comes up at a good price and just fix it because man that is a toy that broke my heart so bad and i really i don't have a lot of toys that i lost as a kid that really make me sad that was one of them and that really really broke my heart because that was the biggest, most expensive toy I owned. And my stupid landlord's kid broke it. And I never got a replacement because, you know, it was, you don't go to the store and get replacements. You just go, Oh, you know, they're kids. What are you going to do? I'm like, but yeah, it's my it, favorite toy. <laughs> it's always a shame when you, you know, as a kid and you break a toy, I think, you know, all the stuff I've learned now, it wouldn't worry me so much, you know, and I, because I break toys, you know, I still accidentally break things and I fix them here. But as a child, if you break it, it is the end of the world. It's there's nothing you can do. And you can ask your parents to fix it. But chances are they won't know what to do or they just glue it back together badly or something. And, you know, it's, ne it's never quite the same again. So I completely understand yeah. that sort of, you know, those sort of gutting memories isn't it? it's like oh no it's been ruined but you know I, it, it, things can be fixed so that don't worry that's coming along in a few weeks time you'll see how to do it and it'll be a future project for you if you ever find one i'm i'm very excited about it um before we started talking i actually told i had the opportunity to tell dave that i picked up something at retrocon that i actually was inspired by him to buy not directly but because of all the stuff i've learned watching his channel over the years I actually picked something up that is not in mint condition, which I was very proud of myself. I didn't it didn't have to be on a card, but because Kathy's favorite character, one of her favorite characters in Disney is the genie from Aladdin, I got this really nice, very big genie figure. Um, he was in a bin, and basically the guy just wanted five. Um, he wanted, was it five or ten? I don't remember what I paid for him. Either way, it was a bargain. Um, he's in really good condition. There's no deep gouges on him. He's just a little dirty. He needs some paint touch up. And the sculpt on the face is what sold me. I mean, it's perfect. Like, it looks incredible. And for the most part, the paint, even on the face, is in really good shape. There's a couple of spots that need a little touch up. But, you know, after watching Dave's channel for so many years i i am actually going to tackle this as a restore project and of course i'm going to film it because this one needs to be filmed like i need to get this and i might even steal some of dave's music and totally be inspired by <laughs> dave but um it's it's a really fantastic piece and i'm very excited about restoring it but that's my thing of the week because that's going to be a project and i figured what more to do as a as a thing of the week than one that's actually inspired by the guest i'm actually talking to so Thank you for inspiring me to actually pick that up at the show and uh, inspiring me to bring it back to its beautiful factory glory. <laughs> well, that's cool. It's a, it looks like a fun project to me. And I think as we were discussing off camera, fairly, fairly simple to do. A little bit of cleaning and that, a little bit of painting. You'll have something that looks really nice very quickly. 
And then mm-hmm. it, you'll have your own memories attached to it, your own story about how you've put it back together. You know, that's and that's the fun of this stuff. It's mm-hmm. the the memories that you assign to these these items and these toys as you go about fixing them. Yeah, I I've I had that. I did a Tonka truck restoration, and for those of you that follow my YouTube channel, if you go back to I think it was about three years ago when I finished it, uh, four years ago now actually, it was February of 2019 when I finished it. Um, you can go back and see me do my first toy restoration, which was a Tonka truck. And it was, that truck is very important to me now. Like I will not part with that truck. If I lose everything in the world and this house is burning down, there were two things I'll take with me. One is the first stuffed animal I ever had as a child, which I still have. And the other is that Tonka truck. Like it just, it has to go. Like I have to save those two things because that truck has that much meaning for me because it kind of was a pivot for me. Instead of just watching people do cool stuff and restore old toys, I restored an old toy. And, you know, again, with techniques learned by watching people like you and like Marty's Matchbox makeovers and channels like that, like all these channels I've been watching over the years, I've started to absorb the information. And it's like, oh, I know how to fix that. Like, that's cool. I know how to fix that. So, um, yeah, I, that, I know you probably get this a lot. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that, that's the whole point of the channel really is to teach people ways of fixing stuff. So you may not watch, you know, my videos may not cover a, a toy that you're particularly interested in, but hopefully the techniques that you'll see in the videos yes. will give you ideas on how to fix something. You know, that's the whole point of it. I try to do a wide range of toys, uh, you know, toy lines. So there's a bit of everything, but generally the, the sort of tricks and the ideas that I show in each video are universal. You can you can cut and paste them onto other toy lines. They will just work the same. So, um, but yeah, you've got to keep those little memory ones. And I'm glad you kept that one on the shelf. I have here behind me on this shelf is things that I have fixed that I won't ever give away. I give a, I give a lot away if people you know come around and they see something and I've got multiples of it. You know, I generally say just take that take one of them. But the the ones here are things that I've fixed that I'm. I have the most connection to that I've fixed and also things that have gone wrong because I keep, if it's gone wrong, it's in a memory of don't do that again. So I've got a few here of mistakes <laughs> that, that are are there to remind me, don't do that because this is what happens. You know what those, I think those, you know, we don't learn if you don't make mistakes, you don't learn, you know, sometimes you could know what, what'll happen, but when you see it happen, you go, oh, now I know how to prevent that. Like, I know what I did that made that happen. I can actually pivot and not do that again. I think one of the, one of the things when I did that Tonka truck, I used the wrong kind of rivets. So the front bulges out a little bit. And I look at that and I could just drill that rivet out, get the right kind of rivet and fix it, but I don't want to. I kind of like that it has that imperfection. It's like, see how much you've learned? Like, you know what to do to make that not happen again. It's kind of a little reminder. Like somebody looks and goes, this is a really nice restoration. And all I see is that bulging outside, but I'm perfectly okay with it. Like it's, I guess that's a sign of maturity where like you, you know, I can have a Wabi Sabi Tonka truck on my shelf. (laughs) Yeah. But it's that, but it's your, you know, it's your Tonka truck. It's not anyone else's. There's no one else that look, no one else's truck looks like that because you fixed it. You know, it may not be perfect Mm -hmm. in your eyes, but to everyone else, it's a Tonka truck and they know exactly what it is. But, you know, you've added your sort of, you know, your perceived imperfection, it probably isn't an imperfection. It's just how you see it. But that's, you know, sure. that makes it 100% yours. And you'll always be able to spot it as your toy forevermore. Absolutely. 
Um, I'm going to take a minute and thank the people that support the show financially. And those people include Big Al Schultz from New York Woodworks, Scott Oram from Dad It Yourself DIY, Ed Swanson of Ed's Clocks and More, Nick Birchtold from Birchtold Design Build, Tori Decker of Tori Did It, Jake Drews of Make With Jake, Megan Chris from Onyx Designs Woodwork, Christian Neary from Warren Works, Ken Madden of Mad K Studios, David Wood of DW Woodbuilds, Dean DePlantis, Chris Raley of Route 9 Signs, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy, Kim and Garrett from Kim and Garrett Make It, Rory Langefeld of RLL Woodworks and DIY, Robert J. Keller, Brian Arsenault, the Seven Hills Maker, Dave Bauer from Dave Bauer Art, Donald LeBlanc of Fun with Woodworking, Ross Cave, Jeremy Spies, Grant Alexander from the Clamp Podcast, Brad Harrison of Brad's Customs, and Billy Poulton of Poulton Projects. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. You know how much it means to me that you do so. It it literally means the world, and it's what keeps this show going, and I appreciate it tremendously. If you can't support the show financially, by all means, leave a review, share the show, tell other people about it. Um, you never know who might end up showing up on the show because they heard about it through your recommendation, and that's a big deal to me. Also, in case you haven't been following me on Instagram, we now have a Discord channel for the show, and the link will be in the show notes. I'd love to have you over there to chat with us. Um, I give a little peeks about who's going to be on the show we talk about you know you could do show we could do show feedback there and there's all kinds of chats about making and random discussion with a bunch of cool people and i'd love to have you over there so check out the show notes you can find the link to the discord channel in there dave it has been an absolute pleasure honor everything every word every synonym for that to finally get to speak with you like i said i've been watching your channel you were one of the first YouTube channels I subscribed to, and you actually subscribing to my channel was my biggest YouTube OMG moment. So it was awesome. It was absolutely, it's been absolutely awesome talking to you. It's been awesome learning more about you. I love that we know a little bit more about the man behind the hands. And um, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. So for the people that haven't heard of you or aren't already following you, where can people find your stuff and where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Well, first up, thanks for having me on. It's been uh, great to chat with you as well. Um, you can just find me on YouTube, search for Toy Poloi, uh, and my channel will come up. I don't think there's anyone else with a channel name like that. So uh, just search for me there. You will find my channel. And uh, I've been doing this a long time, so I've covered pretty no i'm not going to say every toy but i've done i've done an awful lot of toys so if you've got a toy that's broken chances are i've done a video that will sort of cover how to fix it um so yeah find me on youtube but if you want to follow me everywhere i'm on twitter or x or whatever it's called now i'm on instagram i'm on facebook i'm on tiktok for some strange reason i'm i'm pretty much everywhere but yeah just uh, find me follow me and hopefully you'll enjoy what i do i think i think everyone's going to enjoy what you do i think you know, the people that watch that watch this show and listen to the show are all makers, creatives in some sort or another. And even if you're not directly repairing toys, watching Dave do what he does, you're going to learn a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. So even if toys aren't necessarily your thing, as someone who fixes and repairs stuff, it's worth watching. Like just even that. I love it for the nostalgia and the, and the fixing and making, but you'll get something out of it either way. And you definitely should be following Dave. Um, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching, for listening, for however you consume the show. I really appreciate it. Obviously, we will be back again next week. I have guests for the next two weeks figured out, so we will have guests. It won't just be a me show, which I'm sure you all love. And until then, have a great week, everybody, and I will talk to you then. Bye.